after a disastrous divorce, a middle-aged writer takes to the European countryside and finds herself on an adventure she never imagined. Oh, okay. Kay, have you seen Under the Tuscan Sun? I have not. One of many movies that I know by reputation only. Yes, and well. I've never had any interest in watching. <laughs> well, we'll see how you feel after you watch it. But, okay. um, yeah, I won't say too much more about it, but we shall... It's definitely not demographically targeted towards you, but <laughs> Very I'm interested to see uh, what you have to say. All right, great. Can't wait, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You start a marriage with champagne, you should finish it that way, too. To freedom. Okay. Open! You attend a tour to romantic Tuscany. I am not ready to meet anyone. Oh, you won't. It's a gay tour of romantic Tuscany. Oh. You are gay and away. It's a nice little villa. Are you going to buy it? When my life is going, that'd be a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Don't you just love this? Stop the bus! I'd like to make an offer on the house. This is what I can pay. Minus the work on the place and a rental car to drive off a cliff when this all turns out to have been a terrible mistake. You've not even seen the house. I... I can't go back. I've bought a house in a foreign country. There's a little fixing up to do. I never realized you were so handy. I'm in Italy. I can hire the muscular descendants of Roman gods. Can you star 69 Italy? I have inherited one grape and assorted tenants. <laughs> I bought a house for a life I don't even have. Why did you do it then? Because I'm sick of being afraid all the time. You think maybe I'm just trying to pull you up? Pull me up? Pick me up. Pick me up. See, you have survived the storm. But the washing machine is dead. You're probably one of those crazy American women like Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Life offers us a thousand chances. All we have to do is take one. Unthinkably good things can happen. Even late in the game. It's such a surprise. Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And this week we're talking about Under the Tuscan Sun, the 2003 Diane Lane picture um, following a woman who moves to Italy to buy a villa. <laughs> Kyle, will yes. you elaborate on that for us? Sure. Um, this film uh, follows a writer uh, on the cusp of approaching middle age, which I feel like that definition is a little bit fluid um gets ditched by her husband loses her house so she decides to buy a dilapidated 300 year old house in tuscany and does some stuff it's a little bit of a meandering movie but not necessarily in a bad way it's just kind of things happen not necessarily with any strong sense of causality Mm -hmm. um again it's more of like it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing on its own it's just kind of this is what has happened in my first year of living in Italy. Yeah. That's the kind of, like, the tone that it goes for, I would say. 
Sure, sure. Um, well, that is way better than what IMDb has, oh. which is uh, uh, um, a writer impulsively buys a villa in Tuscany in order to change her life. Technically correct. That's. I mean, it's not yeah. the worst. There's a lot, as you said, that a lot of things that happen that aren't necessarily worth covering in the logline. To but... be fair to whoever wrote that, that is the premise. Mm-hmm. And what happens after is very hard to summarize in like one or two sentences. Very true. Very true. I'd still say you did a better job. but oh, well, you know, I'll accept it. You'll have it. So before we get into your reaction, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about my guess on your reaction. My Please. prediction. Um, I, well, I find this a enjoyable, just like easy to watch movie. I feel like that will not redeem it in your (laughs) eyes and you did not enjoy it. I, you will be pleasantly surprised to know I did not hate this movie. Good. I didn't think it was like dumb or boring or anything like that. Uh Not for me. Yeah. Which I think it would be hard to argue against. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is another she's the man, possibly. Of um, yeah, sort maybe of. Maybe not for you, but you can still see the merits. Yeah, I mean, um, so I wrote in my notes, it's like a chick flick spilled into an episode of Anthony Bourdain. Oh. Um, in the sense that it's like, Italy, look how cool it is. Mm-hmm. Also, this is my life now. Um, yep. And, uh, I mean, it's very obvious that this is, like, a comfort food movie, which is a theme that I think you will be getting into as we move on. Mm-hmm. It's like a mac and cheese movie, which I understand uh-huh. is kind of an ironic simile because it's set in Italy and mac and cheese is, like, the bastard child of Italian <laughs> food. Um, but... It's American as it gets. Yeah, but very much like mac and cheese, I don't personally understand what people think is so great about it i think it's fine i think it's enjoyable hot take kyle doesn't love mac and cheese (laughs) um yeah that is totally fair and my background with this movie is pretty much exactly that like it is it used to be on abc family all the time back when it was abc family i think that's exactly how i saw it and i just i love Anthony Bourdain. Putting it that way, I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's easy to see why I would like something like this. It is just easy to watch, and it is... We'll get into this a little mm-hmm. bit more. The story is possibly a bit of a Mary Sue-type story. I would 1,000% agree with that. And Well, good, because I'm actually going to contradict it later. Oh, we can talk about okay. that. Is but... it because it's a true story? Because I saw in, like, the end of the, in the credits it said, like... Wait a minute, do you not know about I didn't this? even know that. Okay, in the credits, like... After it says written, directed, produced, it says, like, something about being, like, based on uh, a book by somebody, Um. and even though, and it's had, like, this weird disclaimer at the end that said, like, even though this movie is based on this book, which is a true story, the characters have been fictionalized. And I was like, okay, so that makes me think a lot differently about a lot of the things that I had problems with in this movie oh looking at it now though so yes there is a the writer's credits there's uh i think i think three people got writer's credits on this and um one of them got the credit for the book which is francis mays Mm -hmm. and she um her bio on imdb is that she's a poet essayist and professor of creative writing at san francisco state university she relocated to cortona italy after she bought a renovated 
bought and renovated a rundown Tuscan farmhouse, Baramasole, which is literally what happens in the movie. Yes. So, yeah, it is a memoir. Um, okay. It's possible. I can't tell here, but it's possible that maybe the... Um, oh, no. Yeah, she's still married to her husband since 1998. So the disastrous divorce might be the part well, of that that they're trying to... I mean, separate. Movie, maybe. I mean, the movie takes place. The movie was made in two thousand three. It's very conceivable that she met and married somebody after writing the story. Yeah, that is a really good point. Um, yeah, so it does seem. I didn't know that before this, but it it does seem that she is. It is based on a woman's real life. Okay. Um, now, before we get too much further, I did have a couple of other notes about my first impression. Oh, but go that's on. Okay. No, no, um, no. Not only does it seem like a fantasy fulfillment kind of a movie, which mm-hmm. I think is weird because it is based on a true story, it is meta as hell. Mm. I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is like one of those movies that you've seen so many times that you don't pick up on things like this as a as a more sophisticated viewer. I do that all the time. Mm. But like, there's parts. The first scene of this movie is almost like a mission statement with all the dialogue being super meta textual, mm. like. Um, you called my main character unrealistic. Um, a middle-aged man living out his horny teenage fantasies. I find that ironic. Uh, I was like, that is literally what this movie turns out to be, except right. like the woman version. And also, bad review. Uh, like when he's talk with the Foggy Nelson from Daredevil is in the first scene of this movie, <laughs> and he says, like, as a as a writer who had Diane Lane as his professor, and he says, you always said that good ideas are just bad ideas that you stick with or something like that. That's it. I was like, yeah, that is literally what this movie is about also. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another part where she says, cliches converge at this navel of the world, but you get a feeling that these Italians know more about having fun than we do. Again, felt like the writer director of this movie being like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, Just, just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, Anyway, things like that happen quite a bit. And then also, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's exactly what American women think Italian men say. Yeah. There's a line that I was like, okay, or that's, again, super super meta. Right. Anyway. You're anyway. a film about, yeah. Yeah, there was that. Um, yeah. And Diane Lane, always a delight to watch, for sure. That was She a, is gorgeous in this movie, too. Gorgeous, I mean, she's gorgeous yeah. always, but, like, there were so many scenes where I was like, she is just lovely. She, yeah, she's, okay, she's beautiful in a realistic way mm-hmm. which i don't know a way to explain that other than like she looks like an actual attractive human mm-hmm. and not a cyborg engineered in a lab somewhere you know oh, what I yeah mean? no totally. some actresses have that some actresses don't mm-hmm. um and there's that one scene where she's like i still got it and i was like oh yeah no shit hell yeah you still <laughs> yeah. got it diane, okay, lane. diane lane um also that the the one scene where she like jogs down a mountain i was like that was a very that was a very bouncy moment. I was like, Diane Lane, you're you, you're killing me here. Oh my Diane, god, you're killing me. <laughs> we just thought that was funny when I was watching it. I was like, man, this looked like real falls. I think she actually <laughs> slid and fell down that mountain. But yeah, no, her boobs too. Okay, so impression was generally positive. Although okay. I was like, I don't. I again, I I kept thinking at moments in this movie, I was like, this just this movie's not for me. <laughs> this movie is not intended for me, and it's not it resonating necessarily with me. I was like, mm-hmm. I, it's it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, fair. Well, I think critics kind of agree with you. It's got mm. a sixty two percent, which is still fresh on yeah, Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Um, and the critic consensus was, though formulaic and superficial, Under the Tuscan Sun is redeemed by Lane's vibrant performance. Mm. And yeah, I think that's, you know, Could not generally, agree more. yeah, the consensus. And I'm, I'm with you. It is, it's a movie that just like, it, I love it, but I can see 
it all, to be fair, it's Eat, Pray, Love before Eat, Pray, Love existed. Yes. Now I think Eat, Pray, Love is the story people think of when they think of like divorcee living yeah. out her fantasy and like getting her groove back. Also how Stella got her groove back, but yes. I think that was a little before. But that was, like, that was 1998. That was okay. pr- so, relatively close. Yeah, 2003 was under mm-hmm. the Tuscan sun. So, you know, Stella was first, but this one yeah. definitely beat out Eat, Pray, Love. Right. And it's funny because, you know, we recently started talking about movies you might pair mm-hmm. our selection with. Eat, Pray, Love and How Stella Got Her Groove Back were at the top of my list. Have to be. It's They're, a genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Honestly, those three movies could make a pretty solid evening if you were just wanting to, like, kill a couple <laughs> of bottles of wine. If you're looking to get your groove back, maybe start with these three. Yeah, sure. those are the ones I have for myself as well, so. Um, but also, uh, a movie that gets referenced in uh, Under the Tuscan Sun is La Dolce Vita. Right. Have you seen that by chance? I haven't. And as I was watching, I think I'd missed that reference in earlier ones, okay. in earlier viewings, because... As you said, less sophisticated viewer knew less about Italian cinema. Right. But that is one I would really like to see. So I have seen it, and it's another film that I don't personally care for. Like, it's a classic that's, Mm -hmm. like, widely regarded as, like, one of the high marks of, like, Italian cinema. Mm -hmm. But I I, I, quite frankly, and I'm not trying to say that this movie is bad or anything like that. La Dolce Vita is a movie I watched, and I was like, I don't understand what I was supposed to take away from that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like this fantastically important movie in a lot of people's lives that people cite as being like, it's like one of Roger Ebert's favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, he talks extensively about it. And like, I've talked to a lot of people who just like love film and they say that this is like one of their favorites. And I'm just like, I don't fully Mm -hmm. understand it, but it is a landmark Italian film that gets referenced in this one. So I think it's a natural choice to kind of go with it. Right. And you know, in general, just for, Cultural cachet alone, probably mm. still worth watching. Um, and I would, will, sometime. But uh, <laughs> I'm not yes. putting it on the list because I do not have strong feelings okay. about it. Okay. I anyway. mean, maybe we can work through your middling feelings <laughs> Perhaps. on the podcast. That'll but... be our other podcast, movies that we have mediocre feelings about. Yeah. Um, so that leads us kind of into my first general theme of this movie, mm-hmm. which is the overarching genre of kind of the fantasy of the divorcee. Yeah. Um, like we said... How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Mm -hmm. Eat, Pray, Love, all of those. I haven't seen either of the other two. This is just the one for me. But Mm -hmm. what about these stories appeals to us? Why is this such a a genre that... I mean, it clearly had some kind of big moment in that 20-year period between Mm -hmm. Stella and and Eat, Pray, Love. I mean, I think that movies that are generally set up about a person who, in the very beginning of the story has to deal with a life-altering event Mm -hmm. or has the rug pulled out from under them. Right. They got nowhere to go but up. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, we've all been at what we would consider our lowest point, which whether it turns out to be our lowest point over the course of our lives or not Mm -hmm. is a different story. That's something that, you know, only time will tell. But we've all been at, like, a point where we felt like we were at our lowest. Mm -hmm. And so we can automatically relate to somebody having the rug pulled out from them Mm -hmm. by... They're, you know, just by life in general. And to see how they respond to that and, you know, how they build themselves up and their stumbling blocks and things like that, I think kind of is innately relatable to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do these stories appeal to us? Like, when you say these stories, like, what exactly, like, how specific are we talking here? Like, how specific or general are you talking about? Well, what what else would you consider these stories? What well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm honestly not sure. Like, stories about people who have... <laughs> 
people who get surprise divorced. I uh, I don't know because if that's the case, those surprise stories don't divorce. those those stories don't appeal to me. So you I'm don't not watch Maury. You're not a big uh, Jerry Springer fan. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the way you framed it just now is interesting because it that's basically the hero's journey. That's a building's yes. roman. And I never thought about it like that, but it, it truly, it kind of is an interesting twist on, you know, we think of Hero's Journey as like Hercules or someone along those lines. Oh my God, this story like, is like the Joseph Campbell monomyth. Oh my, oh right? my God. Right. I never thought about it until you put it in those terms, but it really is like, it is an interesting twist on that because the yep. it is truly a Hero's mm-hmm. Journey. They have to leave home. They have to come across all these obstacles, become who they are meant to Refuse be. Refuse the call, even. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You're blowing my mind I, right now. I just, it came to me right on the spot. But too it's... True. This and the Road Warrior. Perfect <laughs> monomyths. One yes. for one. But I, I think I, there's obviously some gender politics involved in it. I, actually, not obviously. I think thinking about it like that, it it's clear that there's a subtext of gender politics because... I think you think about these movies and it's a fairy, like, it's a female fantasy, it's mm-hmm. a chick flick, whatever, but it is following that same structure and it's just taking that hero and putting it, putting someone in that place that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And Perhaps. Although I, I would say that there is, there are tropes in this film that are, that have pretty close one-to-ones if you flip the gender of the main character where it's like, you know, they talk about it in the very first scene, like I, like I had the dialogue there where like the author talks about um, Diane Lane finding the idea of this middle-aged man living out his horny teenage fantasies ironic or, or like un- not believable. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's kind of like, you know, if, if you look at the male version of this story, it's like, mm-hmm. what is the quote fantasy version of this life? Like the midlife crisis is a major trope sure. in fiction as in, I guess, real life. I'll report back in a few years. Um, but, like, the idea of, like, oh, man, I met this super sexy stranger who's several years younger, and we mm-hmm. had this fling, and it was great, and I'm living life on my own terms, and I'm being my own person. I'm like, that that is not, like, that's not a gendered thing, even though I feel like more commonly it's associated with the male uh, character than the mm-hmm. female character. But I think that's only just because of, uh, I guess representation of the of that uh, type of situation in mm-hmm. fiction i'm not sure so i'm like i agree with you that there is like a certain like undercurrent of like gender politics in the story but i do think that it's not a stretch to say that this is very much like a unisex story like you could very easily see i feel like the if you flipped the gender in, mm-hmm. of the characters in this in this story to being like the diane lane, diane lane character is a man mm-hmm there'd be a lot more eye rolling of just like, oh yeah, midlife crisis, just go to Italy and buy a villa and yeah. have this fling with this this <laughs> young, sexy stranger. Okay. But, you know, it's yeah, for whatever reason. But yeah, yeah it's, I think it's it would be a lot harder to have empathy because I think the stereotype of the midlife crisis is, you know, well, I mean, we kind of, I think, see it in this film. Her husband, ex-husband, very quickly into the story, is having his midlife crisis, it seems, is the assumption. Hard to say, because we never, we literally never meet, the the, the husband slash ex-husband is the villain of the story, and we never meet him. Right, which I want to talk about a little bit later, but um, what we do learn about him very early on is that he is the middle-aged man living out his horny fantasies, which somehow this, um, this 
this other author other knows about. Other author, yeah, who got reviewed by Diane Lane knows. So I don't know. I guess it's just an open secret maybe, but in this writer's community. So he is having that moment, but the difference is he is having that moment in a committed relationship and right. ends his marriage because of it, whereas she is kind of pushed out of the nest and yes. forced to have this moment. And I think that is a probably pretty cliche gendered stereotype. Which, but... by the way, before we get too far off of that... Um, Again, this is one of a thousand things in this movie that I will I, I grudgingly have to forgive because presumably these are based on what actually happened in this person's life. So I can't say that it's bad writing. Mm-hmm. But the woman paying alimony situation is such a cheap trigger for the target audience of this film <laughs> that I was like, uh, oh, here we go. All this right. Too. That's what yeah. this this is what the kind of movie it's going to be. But at any rate, go yeah. on. There's definitely some gendered politics, but the, I think. It would, either way, it would probably be a lot harder for the audience to have sympathy with a male character going through Diane Lane's right. struggle than a female. And also, you know, the, the audience for it is just probably not there. Like, no, it's true. I mean, like, the idea of getting, like, shafted by your significant other is bad enough, but, like, getting shafted by, like, your spouse mm-hmm. and the fact that they are now in, a, like, a pregnancy situation mm-hmm. with who they were cheating on you with. And they want to live that, in the house you've been yeah, living in together. that's just, like... So that's like a one, two, three combination punch. That's like it, that it would be hard not to have sympathy with anybody on the receiving end of that. Right. You know, although I, in general, I do think like the man's, um, uh, midlife crisis premise is kind of like a cliche mm-hmm. in general. So I agree with you there. I do think that specific situation would inspire a little bit more sympathy, at least on the front end. Yes, I think if the situ if it was literally flipped and there was a man in Diane Lane's right, place, yeah, yeah. I think yes, you would still have sympathy for him. I think there is inherent sympathy probably for Diane for a female character mm-hmm. in that situation because it's there's the cliche of kind of the man stepping out and sure, stuff. I think that's sure. that's kind of a shorthand thing that they're playing into. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess also like to see like what appeals what's appealing about this kind of story it's natural to see like how it's possible to live your best life when things hit super low points mm-hmm. um and i think that some people just in general like to live vicariously through characters you know true and, and i think that most people will have most people will eventually find at least one character that they like to live vicariously through mm-hmm. um but some people just are like kind of attracted to that you know in more seemingly attainable situations right. like it's one thing to live vicariously through, like, you know, Iron Man, you know, <laughs> but to live vicariously through this person who's, like, you know, 38 and moves and, like, impulsively buys this house because they can afford it. It's like, yeah, I could potentially do that. That's a thing yeah. that I could possibly do in real life. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. No, I won't lie. This is my uh, divorce backup plan. Like, if that <laughs> goes down, I'm going straight to Italy. Well, I sure hope this that you exactly buy, I, I sure hope you buy low and sell high uh, in terms yes. of real estate in San Francisco, which, oops, too late. Not San Francisco. Francisco, Tuscany, but um, oh no, no! But that was the whole thing. It's like the whole reason she could afford to buy the house in the first place is because she bought the house in San Francisco and she fixed it up, fixed yeah, it yeah, up, yeah. and then involuntarily flipped it. Yeah, um, and got a huge and, and like for whatever reason she got that payout instead of so anyway, whatever. Yep. Either way, I don't care how the money comes to me, but this is what I'm doing if uh, if this situation should arise. Fair. Um. Going back to what you were saying about um, kind of living vicariously through this character. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned this might be a Mary Sue story. Right. I think on the surface and, you know, quick definition, Mary Sue is kind of a fan fiction term for a character who is basically kind of supposed to be 
an audience or more specifically an author proxy who is perfect but has all these things happen to them and you know no one really appreciates them until something happens and everyone sees like wow they take their glasses off and they're like wow you've been great this whole time we love you yeah it's basically like a character who their only flaw is that the rest of the world doesn't recognize how great they are at everything well put um i so at the beginning that was my first note because in the intro scene it does seem like diane lane's character is kind of a mary sue she's a literary genius like she's having She's at a book uh, launch for one of her students who literally is just, like, attributing all his success to her and also wants to sleep with her. Literally and... calling her out in the weirdest thank you speech I've ever heard. <laughs> Can I please French kiss you now? That's a line from was, the movie. Yep. It was the early thousands. I don't know. People were saying crazy Delivered things. by Foggy Nelson from Netflix's Daredevil series. There you go. And she also, like, makes brownies that everyone is like, oh, my God, she makes the best brownies, which I thought was kind of, like, all right, just just <laughs> the cherry on top. But then uh, she's also, it. just everyone seems to be in love with her. So she really does kind of read as a Mary Sue. No, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Like, yeah. this is kind of the definition of a Mary Sue character, which, again, added to, like I said, I've got a list of a thousand things that, like, are, I, I have to kind of forgive because presumably this is all based on actual events. And I have no idea what's true and what's been fictionalized. True. Which maybe was that strategic. Like, <laughs> yeah, we know what this is, but it's based on a true story. So just go with it. Um, I do think, though, it's not quite a Mary Sue story. I think that's complicated because the movie really does end up being interested in the complex, like, interior lives of almost all of the characters. I think... To be a Mary Sue story, we would have to be more... She is not the only one who goes through these, like, really major life-shattering events or really major highs and lows. Like, we see a lot of the main, the, like, you know, principal characters yes. at these really highs and really lows. And you... I think that's... I think it's hard to be a Mary Sue story if we're that interested in that many characters and how complex their lives are. And I think yeah. that's part of kind of what she learns through the movie i agree with you actually that's that's a good point that i haven't really thought about before she's almost like a mary sue in a story populated by mary sues she moved sure. to mary sueville basically <laughs> which happens to be in beautiful tuscany yeah and it, it's funny because it's like you know last week we talked about ed wood as this like unusual character who's like kind of surrounded by you know unusual characters and that's a, it's kind of a similar situation like mm -hmm. this is very much a story of like a person finding kindred spirits um, and yep. developing, like, sort of a secondary family um, among them. Uh, I feel like the similarities probably end there, but that's about <laughs> that. But that is, you know, it's sure a distinction. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I don't think that she's not a Mary Sue, but I think that one of the things this movie does best um, in terms of writing in particular is that the film definitely goes to, or not just writing, but in, as a filmmaking thing in general, it goes to it seems to effortlessly give every single character character yeah. and personality mm -hmm. and a real life. Right. Like and these... struggles. I think yes. we see struggles on a main character level with some secondary characters. Right. And uh, m honestly, most of the secondary characters, I would even right. go as far as to say, like, I, there are very few characters with more than one or two lines. Like, Jeffrey Tambor is probably the character with the most lines <laughs> and the least personality, which is fine. Yeah. He serves a function. Yeah. Um, which I thought, we need to put this in the, like, list of ill-used amazing actors with, like, yeah. Molly Shannon and Happiness and... Well, um this was... 
Okay, so this is 2003. This was right before Jeffrey Tambor was on Arrested Development. Like, oh. right before. Oh, okay. But no, yeah, definitely characterization, I think, is one of the really strong parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's all the characters are fleshed out. Yeah. And, and efficiently so, yeah. I think. Because, like, it doesn't require a ton of exposition for most of them. You just get it from their interactions with each other, or with, with Diane Lane. Right, and I, they do have... The relationships, that was going to be my next point, is mm-hmm. the, each individual character is fleshed out really well, and then their relationships to each other, especially, yeah, D- Diane Lane is kind of the central spoke here. There's right. We don't see a lot of the secondary characters interacting with each other, yeah. but um, it is, that is a beautiful way that we see kind of who all these characters are and what is going on with their lives. Because she's like, because partly because she is interested in all of them. yeah. Yeah. You know, and so she actually probes to like get to know them better. Right. You know, so that's like character driven story development, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the reason we know these characters is because Diane Lane's character knows these characters. Right. And I think that con- you know, to have a true Mary Sue story, these characters would all be kind of pushing her down a path of yes. like self discovery. But that's true. Her her journey to like become her true self or whatever, to, you know, become a whole person again or the whole person she was meant to be or whatever is kind of interrupted and complicated by these other people's lives and what they have going on. Like, you know, she's supposed to go meet her Italian lover, but instead her best friend comes and she's been left by her wife and she has to deal with that. And she drops everything else and deals with her best friend. And so, yeah, I I think it is more complicated than just the like wish fulfillment. Like, Oh, I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's going to realize how great I am and I'm going to find the the love I deserve and all that. It's definitely not a perfect, (laughs) it's not a perfect Mary Sue for sure. (laughs) However, I feel like the Mary Sue-ness is, it's there. It's, it's it's very much there. there. It's so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with anything you said. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's just a matter of like, you know, it is still very much like a um, a story that kind of hinges on one person being very lucky in a yes. lot of ways, you know? Yeah, and very likable, right. very, you know, well-connected to and, these other And characters. seemingly having no discernible flaws, mm-hmm. you know, flaws that may impact her personally, but are not, like, big Unlikable, flaws. yeah, right. yeah, that's totally fair. Um, speaking of the colorful characters and this fantasy world that's yeah. created, it is a very storybook kind of world, I mm-hmm. feel like, in some ways. There's, you know, there's true love with these two young characters. There's a lot of, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later, but there's a sense of kind of fate and destiny. And sure. one of the most colorful and fantastical characters, I feel like, is Catherine. I'm glad you brought her up because yes. I have thoughts about Catherine. <laughs> Go on. I She is one of my favorite characters just because I she's supposed to be one of your favorite characters. She sure. is this beautiful older woman played by Lindsay Duncan. And she is just like full of joie de vivre. And every time you see her, she's in some kind of interesting situation. And she's, she is what, if this is a wish fulfillment movie, movie or a fantasy movie where you want to be Diane Lane's Francis... Francis wants to be Catherine. So, yes, that I, I would argue that point, actually. I don't know that yeah. she actually wants to be Catherine. I think that she regards Catherine as more of a mentor mm. than role model. I mean, that's an important distinction, I feel like. Go on. 
Luke Skywalker doesn't want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. He doesn't want to be Yoda. He mm-hmm. wants to be Luke Skywalker, but these people are showing him how to make the most of his own potential without necessarily emulating them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I, I can appreciate If we're going to follow this I very think... Joseph Campbell monomyth example with, like, the mentor, yes. No, go on. And yes, Catherine can... is for sure, like, the mentor. And I'm blown away. I cannot... I still am not even able to fathom how ridiculously good that 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 point was that you made about this being like the mono myth that's yep. ridiculous anyway hero's journey thing however also i will say this if uh if we're talking about character tropes mm-hmm. and diane lane's francis is a mary sue Catherine fits to a t the manic pixie dream girl mm. and if this was a gender flipped story mm-hmm. where diane lane was a man uh, for sure, it would be in cheap Hollywood style about his pursuit of uh, Catherine. Oh. She, ex- I'm serious. If you drop all of the things that we know about Catherine into any given like romantic comedy or whatever, mm-hmm. it's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah, I. that's interesting. And I totally see it. I think the movie is aware of that because she is an older woman. Oh, she wears hats and loves ice cream cones. Yes. How how quirky. Oh, man. She was uh, a model in her younger days. Yeah, she's just like, I think the movie is aware and is kind of interested in portraying, you know, that that in a woman who is not usually given that kind of treatment in Hollywood. That's very true. That's very true. Um, There was that one scene where she says, she starts this monologue by saying, when I was a little girl... I spent hours looking for ladybugs, and mm-hmm. I rolled my eyes, and I was like, of course you did. Yeah. All of her stories <laughs> about her childhood are just like, she was this, like, little wayfish. Yeah, she was a manic When I was 16 years old, I was here with my parents, and I ate an ice cream cone, and the ice cream was dripping on my face, and Federico Fellini saw me and said, yep. I love your look. And I was like, of course he did, obviously. I mean, have you ever watched America's Next Top Model? That's exactly how Tyra Banks's personal stories go. That Fair. is just... There are some women who have it, and portraying a woman who has it at whatever she was supposed to be in her 50s, 50s? I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would have maybe older, but I don't know. However, again, with these uh, with the strong characterizations uh, that we were talking about earlier, one thing I did appreciate, even though I did roll my eyes a lot at this particular character, because uh-huh. I was like, I fi- once I cracked it, I was like, oh yeah, man, it picks a dream girl. Uh, once I cracked it, I started rolling my eyes a lot at this character. However, in to the film's credit, the way, like, she's characterized, she talks about, like, oh, huh, one boyfriend, ha ha ha, how quaint, blah blah yeah. blah, and yet when her, uh, 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 when Zeus, her, like, art student <laughs> boy toy leaves, she's kind of upset about it. Yeah. Like, which I thought, on the one hand, I was like, that's a little bit hypocritical, like, you're saying, oh, life is fluid, just, like, easy come, easy go, blah blah blah, and then also being like, oh, he went back home, and, and feeling kind of upset about it, I was yeah. like... Uh, that doesn't really track unless she unless it's trying to make a point that she's posturing in a lot of ways. I think that's the point is, you know, even... And what you were saying about Frances not wanting to be Catherine. I don't think she wants to become Catherine. I think Catherine is the type of person you see them and you wish that you had been born them. Like, hmm. you are just like... To live your life like that. Not everyone can pull that off. It's not something that you can grow to be. Especially once you are... I think Frances knows that she is not Catherine, but it's hard to not see someone like that, someone who experiences life on that level and clearly is, like, just taking all the joy that they want out of their life and not be like, wow, like, how do I unlock that? But I do think that's the point of all that. I don't think it was hypocrisy. I think it was 
there is a cost to that. You don't, nobody gets to live like that and just feel nothing. It's not always going to be perfect. Even, even someone who seems to just have everything they want has to deal with some of the stuff that's just not, not ideal, not the way they planned that hurts. And I, I definitely think that that was a case of, you know, the way this movie kind of sets it up is as in real life, I mean, you're around, you pick things up from everybody that you're around. And in this film, it's like Francis draws, like she, she learns certain things from certain people. Mm -hmm. It seems like that influenced the way that she develops. And it's not as though, and that's why I say it's not that she is necessarily, I don't think she's a really envious of Catherine. I think that it's like, there are certain aspects of Catherine's personality that she thinks she can learn from. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh man, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great to be her as right. much as observing and kind of filtering the things that she's seeing to be like, I wonder if I can, you know, I wonder what I can learn from this person as opposed to like, I wonder how I can be like this person. Yeah. You know? What I'm talking about is not envy. It's appreciation of something that you know is unattainable. If that like you can't just be certain. You are who you are. Mm-hmm. And some people, there are certain things that are just effortless. And that is what she has. And But I agree that, I agree with your point that she is learning these pieces from her. She sees what she can learn from Catherine. And she does in the end. Storytelling wise, uh-huh. I thought there was some interesting, specific things I wanted to get into. Kind of briefly. It's There's not a lot that I have here at least. But... Um, you mentioned before we don't cast the, like, we never see the mm-hmm. ex-husband. Right. Um, I thought there are some other examples in this movie of things that are either never said or never seen, but are pretty major. Did you think anything about that? Did that stick out to you at all? Um, that was the main one. Like, and I didn't really think about it that much. I mean, I was expecting there to be, like, a confrontation after the first scene in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't. It skipped straight to the lawyer's office. Which right. I thought, which, that was very like kind of conspicuous in its absence the fact mm-hmm. that there was no scene like that um and then later on she discovers a photo in the book right. of her face over her husband's shoulder mm-hmm. but you don't see the husband's face and that photo kind of comes to life yeah harry little, potter style yeah, harry potter. <laughs> exactly yeah. um so you see the back of his head and that's the most you see of again he's the only real villain in the story right and Again, similar to Ed Wood last week. It was like there's no particular, there's no real villain yeah. in the actual narrative. Yeah, I think you're right. He is, but like he doesn't exist right. in the narrative really. He's he's a plot device. Exactly. Other than that, no, nothing really stood out as being like unseen or unsaid. The, this was something maybe that just stuck out to me for the first time as I was watching it for this for this episode. But we build up mm-hmm. kind of most of the movie to. Um, uh, Francis's best friend, um, Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy, Sandra mm-hmm. Oh, Patty in the movie. Um, she is pregnant and we kind of build up to her finally having that baby, but we don't see any of the labor or birth or any. It goes from mm-hmm. her being like, oh, I'm in labor to like, oh, here's the baby. And there's a couple other scenes like that where we just like, we say something and then we cut directly to the aftermath. Uh-huh. And I thought it was interesting knowing that now I would want to go into it, watch it one more time knowing that. But I didn't know if if that had felt effective to you, if you noticed it at all. And, like, did it take you out of it at all? Or did you... It didn't take me out of it at all. I definitely felt like this movie had a very 
a very specific idea of what details it was interested in and what details it was not interested in. Gotcha. So interested in lingering shots of what life in Italy is like. Mm-hmm. Not interested in labor. Not interested in arguments that we know where they're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Not interested in, you know, think like, the movie is not about those things. The movie is about the overall experience of mm-hmm. Diane Lane's character, which we've seen, just to use your example of, like, we don't need to see labor. Mm-hmm. That's not adding anything to the story. The effect, the end result is relevant to the story. The actual progress would just be, honestly, throwing things in to throw things in. Like, mm-hmm. to build things. Like, we don't need to, see, we know how things get from A to B in some cases, and we don't necessarily need to see it in action. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas in others, it's like, the purpose of the film is to relay the experience, and the experience is people watching or mm-hmm. it is the food or it is the landscape so definitely a movie more interested than in experience than connecting every single dot you know yeah directly. yeah i think maybe putting this putting exactly that in a different way but it's more interested in process than result maybe like mm-hmm. it is about kind of this long period after a huge catastrophic event and really we're interested in the day-to-day Kind of living that life more than like oh these huge dramatic you know blockbuster moments mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's yeah that's something that just stuck out to me for the first time watching it now so also with storytelling what you know we talked about there's all these different colorful characters mm-hmm. that come into the narrative and kind of teach diane lane's character different things or have different impacts is there anyone else we talked a lot about Catherine, but anyone else who stuck out and added something to the narrative that wouldn't have been there without them. Yeah, like, for example, like, the real estate agent character was kind of an unusual kind of factor in this film, I thought. Like, I I thought it was obvious that he was going to, that they were setting up him as a romantic interest. Yeah. Very obvious. Mm -hmm. And then they had, like, one weird scene of sexual tension that Mm -hmm. just, like, literally went nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I I don't, I I didn't really know what to make. I was like, again, if, if that happened in real life, then, like, okay, that's fine. But I was like, for as far as a film goes, I'm like, that seems like a very strange thing to just drop in mm. and have it not go anywhere. Yeah, I think it is a theme of this movie, the kind of the spectrum of friendship, relationship, and sex. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's, like you said, Catherine is this manic pixie dream girl, which is typically kind of a, a relationship sexual trope, mm-hmm. but it's in relation to a straight female lead. So it's not going to go that direction, but there is still that kind of undercurrent there. I felt like that was something similar with the real estate agent where it's, he is clearly interested in her. And we know that because another character tells us, but we also learn that he is married. So, and that actually never ends up going anywhere. He's maybe one of the first people that tells her that she's desirable again, after kind of feeling completely shattered by her divorce and stuff. Like this is kind of a reminder that like, of how other people see her, maybe. Okay. Like, first male interest, I guess, that she right. gets. Possibly. Um, I, yeah, I do think it's just, it's, the whole movie kind of sets up all the different relationships to be a little bit blurry and gray. You know, that's they're not all, like, friendship and love interest. There's some overlap amongst a lot of them. A lot of different boxes and a lot of different characters mm-hmm. filling out different parts of that. Yeah. And then on that same track, like, obviously, this, what's his name, Marcello or whatever? Uh-huh. Okay. Marcello. Yeah. I feel like the whole, 
like arc that they set up with that, like the lesson seemed to be less be open to like the fluidness of life and more of don't invest yourself in other people. Like that seems <laughs> to be the way the film kind of set up that whole situation. Like whether that was intentional or not, I was like, that seems to be more of the, like the way that it was framed mm. and with Diane Lane discovering him with another woman, even though they obviously did not have any like particular relationship. They had like a one night stand. Basically. Right. And had kept trying to make it work. Yeah. And it, and it didn't. And you know, and she, but she, for various reasons is, has, has a particular expectation of what's supposed to be going on, which let's be honest, he did definitely 100% string her along uh, like by mm. telling her, I had a vision of you in a white dress. Like, the fuck tells Ooh. you that? Like, that was that was the like. I feel like that in particular, like the moment where he said, "I had a vision of you in a white dress." I was like, okay, that's a like. How can you not think? How can you not know what signal that sends a person? Well, he wrote it in a letter, number one, and he said he had a dream of her in a white dress. That's I. Why would you tell someone that? Yeah. Well, even if it's true. Which I I took that as a sign that he was intentionally stringing her along. Uh, okay. Because I took his explanation at the end at face value of like, we tried to make it work. It was great. But if it's not natural, it's not going to work. Right. And I do, I think you can read it either way. And so I am interested kind of like... That's the thing. It's like, if it hadn't been for that letter, Mm -hmm. everything else, it would have been like, this is a no-fault situation. Well, it had been weeks, I think, since that letter. Like that, That's another thing I wanted to bring up, actually, is because it's a very hard to tell how much time has passed in right. a lot of this movie. And so I was like, did she get that letter three weeks ago? Did she get that letter yesterday? Like, how, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the situation with that? Well, in between... So, Patty hadn't had the baby. She was just pregnant when mm-hmm. they got the letter. No, she then... went... I thought she went into labor that day. She got was the... Was it? Yeah, that was oh, it. Oh, yeah, got yeah. The letter. She, she should have faked labor. labor and she's they, like, yes, exactly. She has the baby. And then it, and then she's okay being left alone with the baby, uh-huh. which I feel like would probably be like at least a week, maybe two weeks. Still a week. That's not a ton of time, That's to be fair. That's not a lot of time. Well, uh, no, because she goes through... What is she... What happens that she's like, I have to buy a white dress? What happens between the baby and that? Something else. Oh, God. I don't don't know. Maybe all the flags. I don't know. But it's... Yeah. But it had been... Like, between when they had actually seen each other, it was a while. No, no. Because he said he was going up north for a couple weeks. So it had to have been... Probably a couple weeks between when they had actually seen each other but and then he, when he left the letter and then a couple weeks after that. But if he knew he was going out of town for a couple weeks, he can't hold that against her. Like, oh, it didn't work. Sorry. They didn't have cell phones back then also. Yeah. So it was a little... I mean, it was 2003, yeah. but... Well, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I... That, but that was the thing. It's like, it was kind of confusing as to whether or not you were supposed to be like, so did, did he like... I mean, he didn't cheat on her. Obviously, they didn't yeah. have, like, a relationship or anything, but, like... But was he scum, or was he... Was he, like, two-timing her, or yeah. was he legitimately, like, out of the woods? Like, it was yeah. very ambiguous about that, which I didn't I didn't care for that, only because I was like, yeah, in real life, that's how things go, but it also was like, this is a movie, though. Yeah. We need a little bit of concrete information. And to be fair, I may just have bias of, like, I know it's going to work out in the end, so fair. you read it as, like... I mean, obviously, anybody knows it's going to work out in the rent, but, like... Knowing how it works out, I feel like it's easier to see it as just like a blip on the radio. You know, this was, it served its purpose and then it, and then she moves on. This was just a stepping stone on Mm -hmm. her path to who she was supposed to become. Yeah. But in the moment, and especially seeing it the first time, I could definitely, I might have read it as like, wow, that guy's a real jerk. But yeah. And again, it was ambiguous. Uh, Although he did have a very uh, relatable line at one point in the movie where like, she's asking him like, 
do traffic laws mean anything in Italy? And he said, like, red lights, just a suggestion. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia, I got gotcha. you. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> do not get in this man's lift. <laughs> um, Please, you've driven around here. You see how people drive. Oh, yeah, this it's nuts. These people don't know what they're doing. Um, um, yeah, just a couple, like, just one other character in particular. Yeah. Uh, Ed has no character development. He is literally just plot furniture. Like, he appears at the end of the movie to be like, hi, I'm the attractive man that you're going to have a relationship with. Oh, hello, I'm the American traveling around Italy. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's just like a, and there it is. Like, that's what... Right, and that's what I'm saying. He's plot furniture. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. There's plenty of other men in this plot. It's just, we just know, we have that one scene kind of like at the very end in the voiceover where like he's clearly still in the picture. So clearly, you know, right. they have a good run. Whether or not they stay together, I don't know. That's like kind of non, not exactly flattering if that, because presume, like if that's the guy that she ended up, like the real life Francis ended up with, that's yeah. not very flattering. <laughs> that he's, a, he's literally a footnote in yeah. this story. That like this Marcello character who like maybe two-timed her, Gets a lot of attention screen time in this romantic, like, day to night on the beach scene and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. That and, was like, fun. you know, grabbing his junk and everything. And then, like, the guy that she actually ends up with is just like, hi, I'm Ed. And that's it. Done. Next, yeah. next scene. That's, Married. uh, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm um, pretty sure her real life. Yep, Ed is her real life. Oh, shit! Yeah. I would just be like, no, like, it's about how. I got the path that led me to you, and yeah, you know, whatever, whatever uh, makes you, yeah, whatever makes you feel better. Come on, Ed. Um, yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Ooh. that is fair. Literally, like as you all. started making that point, I was like, "Wait, who is Ed? Yeah, Which one's exactly. Ed? Yeah, her husband. Yeah. Her husband is the answer. Oh, the sorry, love buddy. of her life, presumably. Hey, you know what? It's about her becoming a strong, independent woman. Her husband doesn't need a, a part in this plot. No, but Marcello does apparently. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyway, any final thoughts on this? Anything well, else we didn't touch on? Um, I'm just I was trying to think about like what the male version of this fantasy fulfillment kind of story would be, mm. and I was tempted to say action movies because mm-hmm. we question mark want to believe like I guess that like if we were thrust into catastrophic scenarios that we would have the ability to save the day. Um, I guess like a rescue versus coping mm-hmm. dichotomy. Um, which has a lot of baggage. I feel like we could unpack. If we had a lot more time. Sure. Um, In some action movie, I'm sure we will. Yeah, very much a men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of way of looking at it. But I think that like the correlation uh, plays out pretty strongly in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, westerns, I feel like, also fit this: the idea of thinking that you would have the ability to not only survive and thrive. Uh, in an environment much more hostile than your own, but also to rise above and either dominate the forces of oppression or lead other people to a better life. Mm. So I feel like, you know, if we're talking about, like, fantasy fulfillment movies where it's, like, you know, maybe not even living vicariously through a main character, but just kind of living in a way that's, like, you know, different from your own experience and Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, uh, in a way that seems like something you might think about as a hypothetical, then that's probably the closest analog. But uh, Ooh, those are pretty epic for uh but I guess, you know, there's a lot of uh, destiny involved here, so. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I, I have no doubt that, like, you know, you, <laughs> that women also have, like, hypotheticals or, like, you know, fantasies about, you know, much bigger and more action-driven scenarios. <laughs> this just definitely see, this just definitely seemed more like a coping scenario. Like this whole mm-hmm. movie is more or less about coping. Yeah. It's not very action-driven. It's like she takes one she takes like one big leap mm-hmm. and 
that's you know, and 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 it ends up paying off in the end. But the other time in the movie where she takes a big leap and she goes and she's like, "I'm gonna take initiative. I'm gonna go see Marcello." She ends mm. up more or less getting punished by the universe for it, right? But in a way that like she learns from, she grows. She's had that experience now. I did think the homeowner, like renovating a home, aspects of this were pretty interesting. Like this is definitely a movie I would come back to if I was like renovating a house and just like. <sighs> Forget this. I would watch it and be like, "Oh man, yeah, you're right." I actually you know wrote, that, I wrote, a note, wrote a note about that. What do you think it is that attracts people to home renovation stories? Because there are like <laughs> entire television cool. networks about this. Like yep. the Property Brothers are like superstar celebrities. Yeah, HGTV raking it in. I don't understand any of that. Um, I think it's process porn. I think the. I mean, I totally am a sucker for this, but like watching someone do a job well is so like entertaining and engaging there's something about i think it's why a lot of why Mad Men was super really? popular just it's that like at why procedurals it's seeing someone i mean there's a lot of things that go into all of that but seeing someone do a job well i think is a big part of it it's why people watch these shows and don't actually renovate a house i think that's the difference but i think house renovations in general there's something about just like taking something and fulfilling its potential like, I think the house is exactly doing what um, Francis, Diane Lane's character, is doing. It is going from something that is run down and broken and doesn't show the potential it has to fulfilling its purpose and having the life within it that it's supposed to have. So I think it's, I think this is supposed to be kind of a parallel, like, the house is her life. All right. But okay. I, I mean, do you disagree about like the overall the, renovation story? I feel uh, like that's why people. I don't are into know. It. I never really thought about that before. Like honestly, like because I sincerely have no idea why people are attracted to watching people renovate houses. It blows my mind that that's such such, such a successful sub industry mm. of of television. I think it's the same as like like food TV, maybe like seeing something also come together. Oh, I'm a big Food Network fan, but Wowie. I've never really gotten into the HGTV stuff. But I do think it is a, a similar thing where it's like seeing something come together is just very satisfying. Hmm. Interesting. That's my take. <laughs> I can't argue with it. Yeah. It's not really something I've ever experienced myself, but that's all right. Uh, yeah. Um, it's interesting that you brought up Mad Men as one of those. So I was like, that's not what I was interested in on Mad Men. But I think I, I think there's something I think what is so engaging about Don Draper, you know, not the only thing, obviously, but is. He is really freaking good at his job. Like, watching him just have the solution every single time is immensely satisfying. Hmm. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um, if there's nothing else, sure. then what shall we watch next week, Kyle? Well, once again, I have a uh, somewhat extensive flowchart. Oh, boy. Kyle, you have too much time on your hands. I just, this is the kind of thing that comes easy to me. Oh, which man. Which is my curse and blessing at the same time. <laughs> Real good at flowcharts. It's like a, what is that? How I Met Your Mother, how Marshall always makes like This is a pie chart of stuff. my favorite bars. Yeah. This is a bar graph of my favorite pies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, flowcharts are your thing. All right, so um, this is actually very similar to my previous uh, selection uh, flowchart here. Oh, okay. Would you like to watch? Oh, so you're reusing a flowchart. I, I take I it back. It. I repurposed mm. it. All right, no, no, no. I, I reworked it. No worries. <laughs> Would you like to watch a loving comedic imitation of cult genre films from decades past? Um, a more serious war movie than Forrest Gump and Navarone? Oh. Or a fictional showbiz biopic starring John C. Riley? John C. Riley. Oh, um, let's go John C. Riley. Oh, okay. Uh, fun or serious? 
Uh, I guess serious. We've done a lot of fun. Oh, okay. So this is the story of a guy who finds, um, in a way, a certain sort of fame mm. from something he doesn't really have a whole lot of control over. He is discovered, and he's just a just a wide-eyed kid with a dream, and he finds out that fame is not all that it's cracked up to be. Oh, no. Kay, have you seen Boogie Nights? I have not. No. Buckle up, because it's pretty long. What? <laughs> Dang it. You, well, that should have been in the flow chart. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Next time it will be. Uh, how many hours do you want to dedicate to this? Okay, yeah, I have not. And I honestly don't know that much about it. Okay, great. Well, uh, again, buckle up, because it's a, it's a wild ride. It's um, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, one of the first ones that really put him on the map. Oh. So it's... Uh, uh, John C. Riley is one of the supporting characters, but he plays a prominent role. I kind of used that just because it was a uh, weird connection to the other movie sure. in that category. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, main character, as you may know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Burt Reynolds is in it. Wow. Yeah, it's it's got a pretty crazy cast, and it's a wild ride. And uh, yeah, it's about a young dude who ends up becoming a porn superstar in the 70s. Wow, okay. And it's, uh, like I said, it's a wild ride, but it's an Oscar bait wild ride, because like I said, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yep. So, anyway, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's for next week. So, uh, yeah. That's cool. It. Looking forward Great. to it. But until then, I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. So tell Celle di Roma, 